Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you all this morning. We get to gather together and we get to worship the Lord. Friends, that is something to be excited about. Uh, yeah, there we go. 9 a.m. Um, funny, I say it every week and then I get the response. But um, Real quick, if you're new, you're joining us today, whether you are here in this auditorium, whether you are watching online or maybe watching the live stream, uh, I'm glad that you are. My name is Pastor Adam. I would love to get to meet you. But if you are new, highly, highly encourage you to text the word welcome to the number on the screen. It's 406 219 And you follow the prompts. And uh, it's a great tool to stay connected, to stay involved with what is happening here at LifePoint. So I highly encourage you to text welcome to that number. Uh, and speaking of what is happening here at LifePoint, uh, Life Groups right around the corner. We're going to be launching our spring season of life groups the week of March 10th. So if you don't know what a life group is, a life group is a home small group. They meet for nine weeks. In a life group, they get to serve together. They get to have fun together. They get to build relationships. That's a big focus of life groups is building relationships. You get to build relationships with people on a, on a deeper level than just you know, a conversation on Sunday morning. Uh, but another thing that a life group does is they apply scripture. They take what was preached on Sunday morning and they explore it. They dissect it. They, they dive deeper into it. They ask questions about it. How do we go from, you know, just hearing a sermon on Sunday morning to living one out? That the emphasis is on application. Uh, and lastly, a, a life group, they pray and they care for one another. Uh, so if you are interested in joining a life group, uh, you can go to lifepointmt.org slash lifegroups. Uh, you will see a whole bunch of different life groups up right now. You will see different leaders, different times, different places, different, uh, you know, days. You can find a life group that fits your schedule. Uh, once again, that's a nine-week commitment. So highly, highly encourage you to sign up for this spring season. And if you're not involved in a life group this spring season, let me tell you, you are missing out. So highly encourage you to sign up for that. Lastly, uh, February 27th, that is this Tuesday, right here in the auditorium, we are having a welcome party. Uh, so if you haven't been to a welcome party, you should go. Uh, a welcome party is a great time to you know, kick the tire. Uh, we get to have dinner together. You get to meet the pastors. You get to meet some of the staff. You get to hear about uh, LifePoint's mission, vision, our philosophy of ministry, why we do what we do, what we view as important. Uh, and it's an opportunity to ask questions um, and maybe decide if you want to make this place home. Uh, so if you haven't been to a welcome party, you can sign up at lifepointmt.org slash events. Real quick, this, today is the last day to sign up. Uh, so if you are interested in signing up, sign up. That way we know how many people we have to feed. Um, so highly encourage you to sign up if you haven't been to one. Uh, if you got your Bibles, open them up to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Today we get to continue our series, taking a look and exploring the book of Acts. And today we are in part two of Acts 2. Uh, and while you're turning to Acts chapter 2, uh, many, many years ago when I was in Bible college, uh, I know I've, you, guys have, you guys have heard some stories of Bible college. A great time. I know I told you guys a story of when we accidentally set a dumpster on fire due to negligence. Um, almost got kicked out. Should have got kicked out. Uh, but there were so many great memories, so many great events that took place in Bible college. Uh, and in Bible college, we had to take a bunch of different classes. We had to do theology classes, apologetics classes, uh, evangelism classes, counseling classes. 
Um, but one of my favorite classes to go to was public speaking. Not because I was good at it. In Bible college, I was deathly afraid to speak in front of people. But I loved going to public speaking class because of the exercises that we would do there. Uh, so we did this one exercise. It was called improv preaching. So what it was is you got selected. You have a subject and an object. You have two minutes to prepare, and you have to preach for five minutes. So for an example, it would be like your subject is the Trinity, and your object is this table. And it was hilarious. <laughs> Cause mo because most of us, we've never even preached a sermon before. So you'd, you'd get up there, and it would just be like a train wreck. It was, it was hilarious. People would get up there and be like, okay, like my, my object's the table. It has four legs. That's just one more than the Trinity. There's my connection. <laughs> and it was just a train wreck. <laughs> It was hilarious, because I used to dread having to do it, um, but watching other people do it, 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 was, it was entertaining. Now, there would be some people who would nail it. They would, they, would, they would knock it out of the park, but a lot of people, they would fail miserably. But something that we began to learn over the years of doing this exercise over and over and over, something we began to learn is, is don't overcomplicate it. Just preach the gospel, and trust the Holy Spirit. And today, as we are coming into Acts chapter 2, we are going to see one of the greatest improv sermons ever. Uh, Peter nails it here. We're going to see a, a sermon that is preached by the apostle Peter. And, and this sermon that Peter preaches, uh, it's not super seeker-friendly. But the result of it is 3,000 people in one day come to know Christ. So just a quick recap of where we're at um, in Acts chapter 2. So it is the day of Pentecost. And as we're coming into it today, it is still the day of Pentecost. And we covered this last week where people from all over the empire gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. And in the very early verses of Acts chapter 2, we see the disciples, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit showed up. It says they heard a sound of rushing wind. They saw tongues of fire, and the, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that they began to speak in other tongues, they began to speak in other language as the Spirit enabled them. And people from all over the world, it says, you know, Africans, Arabs, Cretans, people from all over, they heard these disciples, it says, declaring the wonders of God in their own language. And they were, they were, they were shocked there were some people in the crowd who, who were amazed, and they asked the genuine question, like, what does this mean? And there were others in the crowd that day who were mockers. They were like, oh, they're, they're just drunk. So, so it is in this tension that we're picking up the story again today, where the apostle Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, he's going to stand up before thousands and preach the gospel. And something that we are going to see by the end of this sermon, and something that we should be seeing constantly in our life is this bottom line, is that the gospel requires a response. So I hope by now you are in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be starting at verse 14. And this is what it says. And then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. 
These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even all my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you join me as we open up this morning in prayer? Well, Father, we are grateful for today. We are grateful for your goodness and your love and your grace. And Lord, I pray today as we begin exploring Peter's sermon, Lord, I pray you give us the understanding and the eyes to see this clear presentation of the gospel. And Lord, I pray if we've heard the gospel a thousand times, pray we still see our response to it. And Lord, I pray today as we open up your word and you allow me to speak, as you give me breath to speak, I pray that you give me the words to speak. And Lord, do not let me say anything that you do not want me to say. And Lord, we pray that your presence, your spirit in our life, it shapes our life and changes our life and grows our life. Lord, I pray that you give us a boldness with our faith. I pray that our lives bring you glory and honor. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're there at this sermon. You're just one of the people in the crowd. You you saw these disciples, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began proclaiming the wonders of God in different languages, and maybe one of your friends there is hearing them declare the wonders of God in their own language. But I want you to imagine for a moment that you're there in the crowd. Because it is easy as Christians to identify with the good guys, isn't it? You know, to think that we would be one on the side with Peter as he's about to get up and preach. You know, it's easy to think that we would not be on the side of the mockers or on the side of the skeptics, but for a moment, I want you to just imagine you were in the crowd. For a moment, I want you to step back and, and be neutral. Imagine you are hearing this sermon for the first time. And Peter stands up. And Peter hears those who, who are mocking, those who are, who are saying, like, oh, they're just drunk. That's what's happening. They're, they're drunk. So Peter stands up. And I love it. Something you'll notice in the, in the Gospels is Peter, Peter was always first, wasn't he? He was always the first in the water, the, the first with the sword, the first to open his mouth, the, the first to stand up and preach. But Peter stands up, and he's going to preach. And he's going to preach the Gospel. And, and here's the thing. For, for us today, when, when it comes to sharing the Gospel, a, a great piece of advice would be preach like Peter. You know, as we're going to explore this sermon that Peter preaches, pay attention to it. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice in this sermon that Peter's about to preach is, number one, this sermon is scriptural. 
You're going to see it time and time again, Peter coming back to the text of Scripture and bringing out what is found in the Scripture. This is, this is called an expository sermon, that he's going to come back over and over again to the text of Scripture. Notice here how Peter doesn't just stand up and give his latest views on politics. He doesn't just stand up and, and tell the people what they want to hear. You know, before serving at LifePoint, I served at a church in Salinas for five years. And one day, one of my administrative assistants comes into my office, and he has this grin on his face. I was like, oh, what's, what's up? And he's like, you got to watch this sermon. And it was a sermon that was put on by a local megachurch near us. And I was like, why do I have to watch this sermon? And he's like, it's a train wreck. I was like, all right, I've been to Bible college. I'm familiar with train wreck sermons. So I decided to watch it. And watching it, it, it broke my heart. I mean, in the, in the whole sermon, if you want to call it that, not once did the preacher quote scripture. Not once did he even mention the Bible. Not once did he even mention the name of Jesus. And there were thousands and thousands of people there waiting to hear the gospel. The whole time he talked about the dangers of Marxism. And it's like, you know, if you want to talk about Marxism, that's fine, but that's not preaching. Like, that's not a sermon. There were thousands of people there, and it broke my heart seeing this. But something you'll notice with Peter's sermon is time and time again, he comes back to Scripture. And the second thing I want you to notice in this sermon is it is centered around Christ, as every sermon should be. Like, every sermon should be centered around Christ. And I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, like, well, what if you were, like, way back in the Old Testament? You know, you're, you're like, a thousand years before Jesus walks this earth. Well, Jesus is still there. Jesus, when he's debating some religious leaders, this is something he says in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 39. That's what Jesus says. He says, you, you study the scriptures diligently. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. Those are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Like Jesus is saying, like, you studied the scriptures, you studied the Old Testament, those are the scriptures that testify about me. And so here, Peter, he's referencing the Old Testament, but he's going to come back time and time again to the person and the work of Christ. I mean, you're going to see it. You're going to see it in verse 22, verse 23, verse 36. Time and time again, comes back to the person and the work of Christ. So number one, this sermon is scriptural. Secondly, it is centered around Christ. And the last thing I want you to notice is Peter is bold. Peter has this boldness as he's preaching. You know, I heard it said that it is easy for a preacher to be bold when he's behind his own pulpit. So, so what that means is like, it's easy to be bold when you're around people who talk like you, people who act like you, people who think like you. But you see, the call that Jesus has placed on our life to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, that requires us to be around people who don't think like us, people who don't act like us, people who don't talk like us. So Peter stands up. And remember, it's the time of Pentecost. People from all over the empire have gathered here in Jerusalem. So Peter here, he's going to be speaking to people who don't think like him. 
who don't act like him, who don't talk like him. He's going to be speaking to the skeptics. He's going to be speaking to the mockers. He's going to be speaking to the people who have genuine questions of what is happening. And another thing is, he's not preaching at a church service. Like, this, this is a festival. So Peter stands up. And remember, not even a couple months ago, Jesus was just brutally murdered there in Jerusalem. So Peter stands up. This, this fisherman. The same Peter who, who not even a couple months ago denied Jesus three times. That he is going to stand up and boldly proclaim the gospel before thousands. That he is going to preach fearlessly. So when it comes to sharing the gospel, friend, follow what Peter did. He was rooted in scripture. He centered everything around Christ. And he was bold. He was bold. He had this passion as he was preaching. You know, friend, if you are fearful when it comes to sharing the gospel... I encourage you, come back to Acts chapter 2. Read it. Read it again. Spend some time in it. Meditate on it. Study it. Something you will see is these, these apostles, they, they didn't hold their lives so tightly. But they stood up. They preached the gospel fearlessly. And this is exactly what Peter does. Peter stands up. That was all pre-sermon. Let's actually get to it. <laughs> Verse 14. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So, so real quick, notice Peter stands up. He, he, he doesn't preach like the rabbis of his day did. You know, rabbis in, in, in the first century, what they would do is they would gather people around them and then sit down and teach. They would teach to those who wanted to hear. Uh, Jesus did the same thing. Uh, he did this, you can see this in, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. He reads from the scroll of Isaiah, hands it back to the attendant, and then it makes note of it. He sits back down. But Peter here, he, he's, he, he's not preaching like a rabbi. He's proclaiming like a herald. It says he stands up. He raises his voice. And he first addresses the mockers. Those who are saying, oh, they're, they're, they're just drunk already. And I love how Peter, he doesn't give so much time to it. You know, it's easy to like get defensive when people start coming with like ad hominems towards us. But Peter, like, he, doesn't, he doesn't give it much, much time. He brushes it off so easily. He's like, it's, it's, it's nine in the morning. Like, like we, we haven't even eaten yet. Like, get out of here. But notice here how Peter doesn't point to the disciples speaking in tongues as evidence of God's intervention here. Like, he could have so easily done that. He could have been like, hey, you heard them. Like, you heard them speaking in different languages. You heard them speaking in different dialects, dialects that they don't know, languages they don't know. They're Galileans. Like, yeah, you heard them declaring the wonders of God. Notice he doesn't point to that as evidence of God's intervention. What, is, what does he do? He, he actually points to Scripture. 
that God has already spoken through his prophets. That what you are seeing, what is happening right now, is something that has been prophesied, and it is a fulfillment of a prophecy. And then, and then he quotes Joel chapter 2. And this is what it says in verse 17. This is Joel chapter 2 that Peter's quoting. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So so what Peter's pointing to here is that Joel has prophesied what they are just witnessing. That God would pour out his spirit and God did pour out his spirit that day at Pentecost as well as on us today as Christians. And then Peter is, is saying that you are witnessing this prophecy be fulfilled. Like, don't be shocked. You're all Jews. Like, you've heard this before. That God has poured out his spirit. And notice what it says. He says, poured out his spirit on all people. Poured out his spirit on, on his servants, men and women. This is pretty incredible because something you will notice in the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit would come onto people for a specific period of time, for a specific purpose. But Joel was prophesying that, that there will come a day that God will just pour out his spirit on his servants, both men and women. Peter's bringing this up, like what you are witnessing is this prophecy be fulfilled. And, and he continues in this prophecy in verse 19. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So Joel had prophesied what they are just witnessing, that God would pour out his spirit So what this prophecy is saying, this is what you guys are witnessing, but this is also what is going to happen. It says that the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So what is that? The day of the Lord. It It is a reference to the second coming of Christ, where Christ would return. And we were reminded of this at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. Remember with those two angels who came up to the disciples? They're like, hey, that same Jesus that you saw go into heaven, you're going to see him come back the same way you saw him go? And we're reminded that Jesus is going to return. But when Jesus returns, the second coming of Christ, Jesus isn't just coming back to give high fives and hugs. But the day of the Lord is, is actually like a gruesome day where God will pour out his wrath onto wickedness. And for those who who are redeemed, the day of the Lord is a day of light. It's a day of joy. Why? Because Christ has already appeased the wrath of God on your behalf. You see, in the first coming of Christ, he came as a suffering servant. That he he took the role of a servant. He, He suffered and he died for the sins of many. But in the second coming of Christ, he's not coming as a suffering servant. He's coming as a conquering king. In the first coming of Christ, he came as a humble baby in a manger. In the second coming of Christ, he's coming with the armies of heaven. I mean, look what it says in Revelation chapter 19. 
verse 11. That's what it says. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is the word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That this second coming is when, when God is going to pour out his wrath onto wickedness. And I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, like, well, like, well God is good. Yes. God is holy. Yes. God is righteous. Yes. But God also hates sin, and he looks at our world and even our sin outside of Christ, and it causes him anger. Why? Because God is holy. Because God is righteous. Because God is good. I, I heard it put like this, that, that God is holding back his wrath with one hand and with the other hand reaching out to us. The question is, are we going to take his hand? Because there will come a day where the hand holding back the wrath of God will no longer. So, so this is what Peter is, is referencing here in this sermon. It is this prophecy from Joel. He's saying like, hey, this is what has happened. This is what you are witnessing. But this is also what is to come. And, and God, speaking through the prophet Joel, finishes this prophecy with Like one of the most incredible things that you'll ever read. Look what it says in verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And everyone. Whoever. Like you, me, like the kid who grew up in church, the the drug addict, the, the murderer, the minister, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what must you do to be saved? I mean, you ask some people that question, they'll, they'll say, well, be baptized. Like, be baptized in this church. Make your confessions to a priest. Follow all of these customs and these ordinances and these sacraments if we want to get holy about it. That poor thief on the cross, huh? Like, can you imagine the thief on the cross? The man being crucified next to Jesus. He couldn't even fold his hands to pray. He couldn't even bend his knee to Christ. Yeah, what did he do? He called on the name of the Lord. It was a feeble plea from a desperate man. Yet Jesus said, today. Today, not, not tomorrow, not when you get baptized, not when you make your confessions, not when you figure all these things out. He said, today. 
Today you will be with me in paradise. You see, calling on the name of the Lord, it it requires faith. It requires repentance. Repentance is turning from sin. It requires knowing that you need Christ, that you can't make it on your own. Yet all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because here's the thing, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We all are rightfully deserving of God's wrath due to our sin. Yet how beautiful are those words? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How? Like, how is that possible? Because something that we know about God is God is, he's just, right? And justice is is letting no crime go unpunished. Justice is, is not letting some sin slide and punishing others. So how is this possible? Look what he says in verse 22. This is now Peter speaking again. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So real quick, Peter's going to cover this, but how is this possible? It is because of a man named Jesus Christ. And Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, he begins to preach. And and notice here, he's focusing on the mission and, and the message of Christ. That he's going to these Old Testament prophecies, and this is what you're witnessing. It is filled and is able to be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit, I know we covered this last week, but, but the Holy Spirit always points beyond himself to Christ. R.C. Sproul, uh, this is something he says. He says, if you are in a spirit-filled church that does not focus on the ministry of Christ, you are not in a spirit-filled church. So Peter here, he, he, he's pointing to Jesus. He says he was accredited by God with miracles, wonders, and signs, which you know about. Like a lot of you guys have you know, heard about it. Some of you probably seen it. Like you know about this, that Jesus was accredited by God. So, so Jesus' claims of, of being the Son of God, they were verified and, and, and demonstrated by what he did, which, as Peter's saying, you know about. And look at how he continues in verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. The death of Jesus was God's plan. Like the cross didn't catch Jesus off guard. And this is something that Peter's clarifying here because a lot of these people in the crowd, they know that Jesus has been crucified. Yet if he was the Messiah, why why did that happen? If he is the the, the Savior, why did he get crucified? And what Peter's pointing to is that this was God's plan. And in this, in one verse, he's able, Peter's able to demonstrate the sovereignty of God. Notice what he says. He says it was God's deliberate plan, it was his foreknowledge, but he also demonstrates the responsibility of man. Notice what he says. Pay, pay, Pay careful attention to the wording he uses. He says, and you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. 
I mean, he says it again in verse 36. It says, you know, uh, that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. I mean, this is one of the reasons why this sermon that Peter preaches, it's not super, like, seeker-sensitive. There were thousands and thousands of people there that day hearing Peter preach. Yet not, not everyone in that crowd like, could have physically been responsible for Jesus' death. Like, could they? You know, there were thousands and thousands of people there. And remember, it's the time of Pentecost. People from all over the empire were coming to Jerusalem. So uh, chances are like, a lot of people weren't even in town when Jesus was crucified. And Peter knows this. And he says, but you crucified him. But you killed him. Yet in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 18, it's not, probably not going to be up on the screen, but Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, that I lay it down of my own accord, that I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it back up again, that Jesus says, no one kills me, no one takes my life, but I willingly lay it down. Peter says, you killed them. So then do we have a role in this? In, in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23, this is something that the Apostle Paul says. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Everyone. Everyone. Like, we are all here in the same boat. We are all on even ground that we have fallen short of the glory of God. And, and remember at the beginning of, of this sermon, not Peter's sermon, but this sermon, I asked you to picture yourself there in the crowd hearing Peter preach. Because this sermon's for you as well. Like, it doesn't matter if you've grown up in church or if your life is one full of wickedness, that we all fall short of the glory of God that we all fall short. And it was our sin that Jesus bore on the cross. So I see what Peter means when he says, Jesus, whom you crucified. Look what it says in verse 24. But. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. But it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. That Jesus has rose again. And, and friend, this is the message of the gospel that, G, that, that Peter is proclaiming here. This day of Pentecost, full of the Holy Spirit. Like, like, let's break it down. He says, like, Jesus was crucified. That we had a role in it because it was our sin that he took upon himself. But that he was raised to life again. That there is an empty tomb and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, my wife, she, she always gets on me. I feel like I quote Romans 3.23 often. You know, like, all have sinned. It is, it is fire and brimstone at our house. Um, <laughs> But, but every time I quote it, my wife, she always, she always says, go to the next verse. So this is Romans 3.23 and 24. 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You know, Paul's saying here in Romans is like, we are all guilty universally across the board of falling short of God's glory. Yet even in the midst of that, God has justified us. That means like made right. How? Through the grace, through the redemption that came by Jesus. And notice, notice what he says. He says it is freely given. That it's a gift from God. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. Like no good deed that you do in your life will ever amount to salvation. That is a gift freely given. Even in the midst of us falling so short. You know, as we're closing, I want to invite the worship team back up here. You see, what what Peter is demonstrating here in this spirit-filled improv sermon is this is what is happening. You are seeing a prophecy be fulfilled. And this is what is to come. Yet this is what you have done This is who Jesus is. This is what Christ has opened up for you. That all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So coming back to this this bottom line this morning, that the gospel requires a response. I still want you to imagine you're one of the people in the crowd. There's always a response to the preaching of the gospel. Even if you've been walking with the Lord for many years, there is still a response. It's being reminded of what Christ has done, my identity and who he is. And you see, over the next weeks, we're going to be coming and exploring the rest of Peter's sermon, but there is always a response. And you're going to see at the end of Peter's sermon, it says that the people who heard this, they were cut to the heart. 3,000 people came to know Christ that day. So, so in light of, of knowing that we have fallen short of the glory of God, yet Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf, and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What is your response? And if you're not too sure, like, come talk to me. Come talk to someone. The gospel requires a response. Will you join me as we close in prayer? Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the good news. Lord, I pray as we carry out the mission that you have placed on our lives, I pray we continually respond to the gospel that we get to preach. Lord, I pray you give us a boldness as we proclaim our faith. Lord, we are grateful for the ability to study your word, to explore it, to learn from it, to grow from it. And Lord, I pray that has an impact on our life as we lean on the guidance of the Holy Spirit to carry out what you have called us to. Lord, we are grateful for what you have done, and Lord, we will be grateful for what you will do. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.